Good morning. I just come unclipped. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay? Everybody hear me all right? Better? Worse? Better? I'm trying to get this thing to get better. Well, I don't know. My wife's not here to dress me. All right. So we're going to go with that. Can everybody hear me okay? All right. So when Martin was reading um, Genesis, all I can think about was how God had made everything and it was good. It was very good. And then that stinking Adam. Right? Man. So please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. There we go. I'm having technical difficulties too. We're going to continue on in, um, we're going to finish chapter 1 today. We're going to finish it up and um, then we'll start chapter uh, 2 the next time we, we gather together. But uh, I just wanted to, to push the Sunday School. The, the Sunday School is brilliant. It's really good. It's, it's done by, uh, uh, I mean, just the, the men that are uh, teaching in this Sunday School are uh, they're pillars in the faith, you know, men like Alistair Begg and Conrad Mwibi and Al Mohler and Erwin Lutzer and uh, Carl Truman, you know, just some of these men are, are just, you know, godly men and real scholarly. I shouldn't say godly men. They're very scholarly men because I don't know how their lives reflect anything because I don't know them personally. But I would encourage you to come if you if you can make it, so... Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig in. Father, we just thank you for our time that we can come and open your word. Lord, truly, will you answer the prayer to open the eyes of our heart that we would see you. Father, I know that you are after the heart is what you are after. And so, Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we would see Christ. I pray, Lord, that as we listen to your word preached today, that we would see you, you would show us us, and you would show us how great our Savior is. So, Father, please glorify yourself today. In your name, amen. So as we've been going through Ephesians so far, we've seen some big doctrines that Paul brings forth. So the first doctrine, well, in verse 3, we see where Paul exhorts God that he is the blessed one because he is the one who gives us all these blessings, and these blessings are in the heavenly places. And so he goes through some of these blessings just to get us up to speed, and he talks about our election before the foundation of the world, his choosing of us, his adopting of us as sons and daughters to him. He talks about this redemption that is in Christ's blood that we have and this inheritance that we have and the down payment of this inheritance is the sealing of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit uh, is, is in us. So we've seen those great doctrines and then Paul comes in to this next section of verses where he, where he starts to praise and e- exhort the Ephesians believers in, in a particular way. 
But I want to ask a question first. The question is, what do you embrace? What do you hold on to the tightest that you're not going to let go of? And we all have those things that we hold on to tightly. And they're just things. But I want to challenge us today to embrace Christ. Because when we embrace Christ, our lives are transformed, are they not? That's what Romans tells us, right? Romans 12 tells us that the renewing of our minds, the transforming of us, that God uses all things to conform us to the image of Christ in Romans 8. And so we have this transforming effect. And, and I believe we see that with the Ephesians. I believe we see that with the Ephesians. So look with, with, with me, first of all, at Ephesians 15, 115 through 123. That'll be our passage today. It's a big chunk, but I think I can get through it in time if you all listen quickly. So Ephesians 115, this is what the Word of God says. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow, what a section. What a section. So first of all, I want us to look at one thing, how Paul praises the believers. Paul praises the believers in 15, through 15 and 16. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers. Now, Paul is in Rome at this time, right? Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. He probably hasn't been around the Ephesian believers for about four years, but he has visitors that come and go. And so he's heard of their faith. But look at the object of their faith. The object of their faith is Jesus Christ. But he says, he puts something else in there. For this reason, because of I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see where Jesus just wasn't Jesus, but he was the Lord Jesus Christ. He refers to him as Lord. This is the object of their faith. Jesus is always Lord. The Bible speaks of Jesus as being Lord and Savior. And you can't take one without the other. Jesus cannot be Savior and not Lord. He is the Savior because he is Lord. And he is Lord, therefore he is the Savior. You can't take those and separate them. He is joined together with both of those. He is both Lord and Savior. And this is the object of their affections. This is the object of their worship. 
And so we see when you have this object of their worship, and when you're embraced by this object that you worship, you start to become like that object. And so we see in this next verse how the Ephesians start to be transformed, right? Their lives start to be transformed into like Christ by what we see in verse 16. This is what Paul says. I do not cease to give, oh, sorry, it's in 15 at the end. It says, and your love towards all the saints. Don't miss that all. Love towards all of the saints. This was a transformational faith. This faith they had in the Lord Jesus Christ transformed them differently that they had a love for all the saints. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't love in this way. I don't love in this way at all. This more like describes me. Jonathan Swift, who's a clergyman, this is what he says, We have just enough religion to make us hate. But not enough to make us love one another. You see, we need Christ so that we love one another. So that we love one another. This is a confession. I wrote it down, so I'm confessing to you all. On the the surface of my Christianity, it gives me weapons to believe I can have proper prejudices or discriminations towards people and towards other believers, and a rationale to criticize those who fall short of my standards because you're not measuring up to me, thus keeping others at arm's length. This isn't true love. This isn't true love. This isn't the love that we're talking about here. Here's what James tells us in James 2.1. He says this, My brothers, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We should have no partialities. We should have no cliques. We should have no divisions. We shouldn't have little quirky people over here and the cool people over here. We shouldn't have these things. The Ephesians didn't have that. They had a love for all the saints. And this love, this love is an agape love. It's not a phileo love. And here's the difference. A phileo love that Jesus talks about, that the Bible talks about, is a brotherly love. This love that I just have for you. No, this is an agape love. This is a God-centered, God-like, Christ-like love. And this is what it is. It's a love that is thoughtful, volitional, and purposeful. That's the kind of love they had for each other. So this is what it means. It means they looked out for each other. They, bore, they, they bear each other's burdens. They bear each other's inadequacies. They didn't consider their own interests, but they considered others. They put Christ on display. They were obedient to Christ's commands. Their love wasn't fake. Their love wasn't fake. I was reading John MacArthur in his commentary on this, and he said, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, I love you in the Lord? I have. MacArthur plainly puts it, they don't love you. I was like blown away by that. No, true Christian love is I love you, brother. I don't have to say I love you in the Lord. No, I love you, brother. You know why? Because we're in the Lord together. Because we have this union with Christ together. 
because we're brothers and sisters together. That's why I love you. That's why I want to bear your burdens. That's why I want to bear your, your, your inadequacies. That's why I want, to, I want to be part of your life. There was no bargaining in their love. There was no deceit in their love. What I mean by deceit is I mean there was no double tongue in their love. You know, there's no, well, I love you, and then the next thing you know, you're getting thrown under the bus. That wasn't what their love was like. Their love was pure. It was, it was fruitful because they were transformed by who Jesus was. Their faith in Jesus and their love for Jesus transformed their life and transformed their affections for each other. Therefore, they had this love for all the saints. Listen to what our Lord, our Lord, you and I's Lord, listen to what Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Pretty simple. You don't have to do a big exegete of that verse to get it. Jesus just sits here and says, you love like I loved you. You love sacrificially. You die for each other. Your life is now my life. My life is your life. Real simple. And you know what he says? And then this world out there will know that you belong to me because of how you love. Not how you preach, not how many is in your church, right? Not how many programs you have, how many events you do. No, it's how you love each other. Faith Bible, it's how we love each other. That's how it is, brothers and sisters. It's how we love each other. So how do we have this love? How do we get this transforming faith? The Ephesians had this transforming faith. And I think what Paul does in these next sections, these two big points, is he he develops that and he wants them to grow even more in this transformation, right? Because we can't understand the depth of God. We can't understand the depth of his word. We will continually grow as long as we continually embrace who Christ is. And this first thing that we see is this embracing of Christ, this transforming faith. This transforming faith is when we embrace Christ with true knowledge of who Christ is. The true knowledge of who Christ is. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, uh, Paul's praying this, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Oh, sorry, verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart. Oh, verse 16, sorry. I got all messed up my notes here. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul is praying for the knowledge of him. Now this word knowledge, you're going to find knowledge means gnoso. That's the Greek word gnoso. And it just means knowledge, right? But in this text, Paul puts a preposition before it. And the preposition is epi, E-P-I, epi, epi gnoso, which amps it up in an intimate level. It's intimacy, right? And here's the example I give. I know Chad, right? Or I know, you know, Carlos. I know them. Gnoso. But I know Jenny. 
I know my wife intimately. Epi gnoso. It's a deeper love of Jesus. It's a deeper knowledge of Jesus. And this is what Paul is encouraging these Ephesians. Even though they have this love that they have, he's still encouraging them. And he's praying for them that they would have a deeper, more intimate knowledge of who Jesus is. Ephesians 3.18. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jeremiah 9.24 puts it this way, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And then Jesus in his high priestly prayer and he prays this and this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So brothers and sisters do you have this? Do you have a deep exchange between you and Christ? Or is it on the surface? Or is it on the surface? Remember when you go to pray he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what your heart is. He knows how dark it is. He knows how black it is. He knows how dark my heart is and how black it is. And he knows I need light to shine in there. He knows that. Why am I going to play games with the one who knows me? Why not go deep? Why not be intimate with Christ? This is what Paul prays. This is what transforms our faith and brings out that love for the saints is when we know Jesus deeper. In addition, this transforming faith and this embracing of Christ is in our calling. Is in our calling. Ephesians 1.18 Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. This is what we just prayed, right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. This enlightenedness. This, it's to bring light into our heart. To illumine our heart. That's what enlight, enlightened means. That you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The hope of which he has called us. And we looked at hope last week, that this hope is a for sure hope. But do you have a hope? In Sunday school today, we were, we had a question, and it's a beautiful question. The question that Martin asked was, when persecution comes, will you stand? When someone starts to persecute you for Jesus, will you stand? You want to know what? You will stand as long as you are convinced of the hope that you've been called to. This hope, and this is what Paul prays for, the hope that we've been called to. What is this hope? First of all, it's the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is Paul at the end of his life. He's getting ready to die. They're going to take his head off. He's in the worst prison possible. And this is what he tells Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life to which you've been called. Brothers and sisters, we are to fight the good fight of faith. 
and we are to take hold of eternal life because that's what we are called to. It's this hope of eternal life. It's the hope of eternal glory. Peter, chapter 5, verse 10, tells us this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. How about that? What intimacy? What love? I mean, do you read the scriptures as a love letter to you from your God, from your Savior? What love, right? The God of all grace. And if he's infinite, that means his grace is infinite. He called you and I. We did not go after this. He called you and I to eternal glory. That word called, it's in the past tense. It's already done. It's the already but not yet, right? The already but not yet. Brothers and sisters, we're already in glory, but not yet. But we're there, but not yet. The hope of eternal glory. Paul continues in his prayer and he says this transforming faith embraces the riches of Christ's inheritance in the saints. This even gets even deeper as he brings the Ephesians even deeper into this prayer of who God is and who Christ is. And he says, and, and this is what he, he says in the, in, the, in the riches, the glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Think about this. What does God not own? Nothing, right? God owns it all. Think of the beauty that he owns. Think of something beautiful, Lake Tahoe, right? Lake Tahoe always blows me away. Every time I peak that summit and I start to come down, it's an hour away from my house, and I am blown away of the beauty of Lake Tahoe, right? And we have to remember one thing. We're in awe of this beauty, and we look on a fallen creation, Creation has fallen. Lake Tahoe, it's fallen creation. And we're in awe of this beauty, right? Think about the Grand Canyon. I remember when we went to the Grand Canyon with my parents. It was the first time I stood anywhere. I was like, oh, wow. This possibly cannot exist for me. I mean, it's massive and it's beautiful. The Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Glacier National Park. Take anything of all this beauty and God owns it all and this beauty of it. But here's what he does. We're in awe of all these things, but God says, you know what? You're my treasure. This is the inheritance in the saints, that you are God's treasure. Do you see yourself that way? Sometimes we beat ourselves up, right? Oh, man, I'm a horrible Christian. Well, that's probably true. You know, because I know I am most of the time. But look, we got to get back to the fact that we're God's treasure. We are God's treasure because we are in Christ. Christ is God's beloved. And if we're in, in, in Jesus, then that means we are God's beloved. We are loved by the Creator Himself. We are the one loved by the one who spoke all things into existence. And, and he brings this love even into a more intimate thing, and he calls us his bride. We are the bride of Christ. 
We're the bride of Christ. Listen to what Revelation tells us. Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride, that's the church, the bride, that's you and I, brothers and sisters, has made herself ready. This intimacy, this treasure, he, he delights in us. We're his precious ones. We're his bride. Revelations 21.2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 21.9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven, seven, uh, seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We are the bride of Christ. This is what we should be praying for each other, brothers and sisters. This is the prayer we pray for each other. This transforming faith embraces the power of God. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places. This is immeasurable greatness. It's a surpassing, vast greatness of his power. It's omnipotence. It's all power. This word power is dunamis. It means power and strength. And we see this in the gospel, right? Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm going to preach Christ. I'm going to proclaim him crucified. Why? I'm not ashamed of that gospel. Why? Because he understands one thing. It is the power. It's the dunamis. The power and the strength of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul writes it this way. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So the gospel has this power of God, this power and strength to save us, to bring us out of darkness and into light. There is no other power out there that can do that. They can take a a dark, dark heart and all of a sudden put light into it and shine that light into it. The darkness cannot keep the light away. If we turned all these lights down, and this was pitch black, all we do is flip a switch and boom, there's the light, right? That's what Jesus did to us, brothers and sisters. We were dark, right? We were darkened in our minds. We'll look at this next week, right? And all of a sudden, for some reason, he flipped the switch and we're like, whoa, there he is. And we saw him and we ran to him. Because he brought the light into our hearts. We didn't bring that light into our hearts. That is this power that he has. James 1.18 says this, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creation. Or his creatures, sorry. So we have to grasp this one thing. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? The same working energy this energy that we looked at last week that God used to raise Christ from the dead, guess what, brothers and sisters? That's in us. 
That same power is in us. God uses that same power to work through us. Romans 6.13 puts it this way. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments from righteousness. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This energy has made us new creations. We are brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Brand spanking new. You're a new creation. Right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This power has the ability to take our hearts and to move them to brand new affections towards God, towards Jesus. That our object would be just like the Ephesians, right? This object of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love, who we cherish, who we now know cherishes us and loves us and calls us his treasure. We have new affections for Because we are new. We are brand new. I don't know. Because we are brand new. This power and energy is seen in the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 1.20 That he worked and when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in in the heavenly places. So we see this dunamis power that God has. Secondly, point number two. This transforming faith embraces Christ in his supremacy and in his lordship. In his supremacy and in his lordship. What time is it? You know what? I'm preaching next week. So I'm going to stop here. Because there is no way I'm going to get through. I'm going to get through this. In, and it's already 12. So we're going to stop here. We're going to stop here. I don't have an ending. I don't have a closure, but <laughs> we're going to stop here and we're going to look at this second point next week about Christ's supremacy and his lordship. But what I want to encourage us with today, I wasn't planning on stopping, but what I want to encourage us today is to look at those things. Look at how Paul prays for the Ephesians. And there's prayer tonight, Dan, and, and I know me and Jen won't be here because of their thing. But this is a prayer I think we should pray for each other and personally. And this is the prayer that we should pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That our eyes would be enlightened and that we may know what is the hope of the calling of which we've been called. And that we would know what the riches of his glorious inheritance is in the saints. And that we would know what the immeasurable greatness and his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Pray that prayer this week. Pray that prayer for me this week. That I would know Christ. I spent this week praying that prayer for everyone here. And it's transforming. When you start to pray scripture, it transforms your prayer and it transforms you. So may we be encouraged today that we, when we embrace Christ, and we embrace this faith in Christ, that we can have a transformed life, that we will love the saints, we will love all the saints without prejudice, and that we will pray for each other, 
that we will fall deeper in love with who Christ is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time as it goes by too quick. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would continue to work in all of us, Lord, that we would not have any prejudices. Lord, I know there's times that often I don't get my way and I can, I can make my words sound something that they shouldn't be in order for me to get my way. And Lord, this is a deceitful tongue and I, I confess that. And Lord, I just pray that we would be those who love the saints, Lord. Love all the saints without prejudice, without discrimination, without any rationale to criticize their lives because they don't quite measure up to ours. But Lord, that we'd have a genuine love and that we will hold to that love. And we just ask this in your name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, this didn't stay in the Ephesian church. If we read in the seven letters to the churches and the letter to the Ephesus, they did everything right. They did everything right. They were preaching the word. They were uh, taking, they were doing everything right. But Jesus had one thing against them. Does anybody know what that one thing was? What was the one thing, Dan? Right. They lost their first love. May that not be true of Faith Bible Church. May we not lose our first love. May we love Jesus to the end, faithfully. With that in mind, let's stand and sing this last song.